Hebrews chapter 3, starting at verse 8. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, Harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me and, and, tempt, and proved or challenged me and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath that they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Down to verse 16. For some, when they had heard, did provoke or rebel or challenge. Howbeit, not all that came out of Egypt. And verse 19. See, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. He's talking about the nation of Israel when they came out of Egypt and the Lord was leading them. And they had a difficulty to believe and, and uh, God saw their unbelief as a sin. And then we read in chapter 4 verse 1, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should be seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being, not being mixed with faith, in them that heard it. And we hear, we need to believe. Verse 10 says, For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, let us desire, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Belief equals rest. Rest equals being able to enter into the place that he has promised for us. Believing on the Son of God. When the nation of Israel, when God took them out of Egypt, going, this is the, what this was referring to, there were several times when some difficult times came up, challenges came up for them. Once they got out of Egypt, they didn't have enough. They felt they didn't have enough food, didn't have enough right, enough variety of food. We've got manna, we've got quail, we've got this water, this water's bitter. We've got no water, we've got no vegetables and fruits we had before. What did you do, Moses? It's not about Moses. It's you challenged me, did not believe that, you know, before this shortage of whatever the challenge is you saw that you came through the waters you saw that you left Egypt with all those plagues that Moses uh, that God dealt with Pharaoh you had enough examples why do you challenge me why do you tempt the Lord we read in Exodus because the Lord they tempted the Lord they didn't believe that the Lord was among them but eventually they after the wandering in the desert for 40 years, they came to the place that was their rest that God had promised them. And God had established them as a nation over time. It didn't happen overnight. <clears throat> Through 
different battles, through taking over different land, one step at a time. And then the nation was established, and kingdom was established. Kings were established. But then the people's hearts waned. And they didn't follow the Lord the way they should. And ultimately, although they were warned by prophets, they were challenged, they, their whole nation was basically destroyed, ransacked, and they were taken away to Babylon. And Babylon, they stayed for 70 years, and they were warned that, that was going to be the case because they didn't follow his ways. They were there for some time, and then interesting thing happened. I'll just uh, jump to that section. Uh, it's in book of Ezra. <clears throat> we read in verse 1, The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and he put also in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, God of heaven. Hang on, this guy is uh, king of Persia. But somehow, he acknowledged, recognized, the Lord worked through him, he has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He recognizes that what he has, God had given him. And he has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, the place that my forefathers and King Nebuchadnezzar several generations before had ransacked. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel, which is in Jerusalem. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he lives now, let that man of his place help him with silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, and any free will offerings for the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, with all them whose spirit God had raised, to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem." Seventy years later, after being ransacked and not much being left in Jerusalem and it being more or less left derelict, a few people were left behind. The kings um, <clears throat> didn't take completely everybody away, but anyone that was of any value was taken away. A few people were left behind too, but uh, they, they really made sure that what was left behind wouldn't be a challenge or a threat to them. But later, God, because of his promise to his nation, I will have a people in this place. Although you uh, didn't believe, although you turned away, promise holds and you will be rebuilt. And so 50,000 people walked from Babylon to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And then sometimes later, another group of people came his name was Ezra, and he helped to build the, the, the church. Well, they built the physical church. The first group built the physical church. The second group built the, the spiritual church. And then a third group came and actually built the wall. When Nehemiah helped build the wall. And then they came together, and they remembered what the Lord had done. And they signed a letter, believe it or not. They signed a letter and said, we were going to live for the Lord. We're going to keep his worship we're going to support the way of worship and we're not going to allow our 
ourselves to intermarry with those who are not of the same faith as us. They failed again. And they were warned, the last prophet of Micah said, there's going to be a savior that will come. And there was a period of silence. And not much happened. And during that time, well, when we say not much happened, not much happened in the way of spiritual things. But the world continued. And in that place in Jerusalem, uh, that, that nation, other nations had come through. Other kings had come through. Other traders had come through. And slowly the, the identity of those people started to change. They started to take on some of those other ways. But there were some who wanted to retain, who didn't want to lose their identity. They wanted to keep what God had, what they had known of God. They wanted to retain those things. And so there were some that believed. And then we know that Jesus came. Now, we're going to, I'm going to read a, a rather lengthy section because this is, I think, it's just one example. I think it's interesting. Before this example, when Jesus came and the promise was that Savior was going to come, they saw and heard of Jesus' ministry. And it was different because when someone was sick, they were healed. A group of people came to listen to him, and at the end of the day, they didn't have anything to eat. They were fed with a miraculous few fish and bread. A man was lame, was able to walk again. A man was blind, was made to see. A lady had an issue of blood, she was healed. Jesus walked throughout the Galilee. He walked through the temple, he taught. And we read in John chapter 8, And Jesus said unto them, Very verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. And then they took up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. At this time, long after Israel had come back to Jerusalem, and Micah had spoken, there was, Israel was a fragmented country. There were people who were zealots, and they felt that they should retain their land by force if necessary. They believed in fighting. And they didn't believe in any of the other armies or authorities that were there. At that time, it was the Romans. They didn't believe in the Romans. There was another group of people called, I think, uh, they separated themselves, lived on the edge of the desert and kind of like in a monastery environment. They, they had high levels of discipline and, and they served God isolated away from people. There were the Pharisees who made themselves to be, pr who were proud of being the descendants of Abraham and for keeping Mosaic and keeping Moses' law. And they were demonstrating it through their, through their, um, uh, the way that they carried themselves, the way they spoke, the way they dressed, and they didn't look very highly on other people. And Jesus came in this place, and he says, Very, very, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And they didn't like that. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Interesting. 
Sometimes we are more interested to see what Jesus is going to do in the life of somebody else than we actually we should be looking at what he's going to do in our life or focusing what he will do for us or what I need to change in myself with his help rather than, hmm, let's see, what's the fault here? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I'm, I'm sovereign. I can deal with this. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. Night comes when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had spoken thus, he went, <clears throat> spat on the ground. They didn't have paving like we do today. A bit of dust and dirt and mixed it up, put it on his eyes. If you wanted someone to see, you wouldn't put mud on their eyes. It's the opposite, which kind of stops them from seeing. Previously, he healed people in a different way, blind men in a different way. He can choose to do it whichever way. Amen. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and he said to him, See. No. He said, Go wash. He could have been, he could have just spoken the word, could have been healed. Could have put the mud on, could have been healed. So no, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And the man went and washed and came back seeing. And the neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that he was blind, said, is not this he which sat and begged? Some said, It is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I, uh, that, That's me. That was me. I was the blind man. Now I can see. Therefore said they unto him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. And I went, washed, and I received my sight. They said to him, where is he? I said, I don't know. In the meantime, Jesus didn't stay to see what happened. Jesus knew that the work, work, healing work had been done, and he moved on. And then they, others who, those who were around, brought the men to the Pharisees. People knew about Jesus. Some people maybe wanted to demonstrate by everyone on his side, say, look, we'll take him to the Pharisees. We can show what's happened. We don't know what the motive was. Maybe the motive was the other way around, that they wanted to show something negative about Jesus. But the problem was, it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. They weren't there. They didn't see it. So they're asking, what happened? He said to them, he put clay in my eyes and I washed and see. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Therefore some said of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keeps not the Sabbath day. Hang on. You were blind. You can't you were a beggar. You can see now. Isn't that great? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, brother. No, 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 no. This something something's not right here. How did he do it? This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? There was division among them. Uh, interesting. You know, when God gave the nation of Israel the law, and in between them were lots of different things, and one of the things was that when a male child is born, that they need to be circumcised on the eighth day. 
eight thing. Eight. Which means that sometimes over the course of a year, the eighth day would have fallen on a Sabbath. But the law says, don't do any work on the Sabbath. So there's a conflict here. There's no conflict. God's work of healing and redemption can take place on a Sabbath. And then Jesus used another example, another place. You know, if on the Sabbath you're walking along that short distance that you're allowed to on a Sabbath day, and your ox falls down in a ditch or a donkey, you're going to leave it there until the next day? No, you're going to get up. How many people receive healing on, a, on the Lord's day? The Lord can heal anybody anytime. But I think if we look over time, more people come to church on the, on the Sunday, on the Lord's day, and the, the healing takes place. Oh, but this is not the right day. This man is not of God, but he keeps not the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man that is such a sinner do such miracles? Some people start to think about this. There is something about this man. There is something about the way that this has happened. And there was division among them. And they said unto the blind man again, What do you say of him that he's opened your eyes? He said, He's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. Hang on. There was no prophet since Micah. There was no word of God. There was no signs. There was no miracles. This event was preceded by other events. It wasn't in isolation. And if he wasn't the prophet, he, he would have been, at least he was a prophet of the like of Elijah and Elisha and, and, and the others. But no, we're going to try and prove that this is not right. We're going to get his parents. <clears throat> they asked them saying, is this your son that was born blind? Now, if, you know, if, if they distanced themselves, say, this, this isn't it. Oh, we got him. This, he's making this up. But they knew their son. He was born blind. They had those challenges from a young age. From when he was born, they knew what it meant at that time that he was going to have a, a difficult life. They said, yes, this is our son. We know this is our son. And he was born blind. But we weren't there. By what means he now sees, we know not. We don't know. But he's old enough. Ask him. He'll speak for himself. But there was an ulterior reason why they said this. They said, the words, these, they spake these words because, one, they feared the Jews. Those who were questioning them the pharisees the ones that were we abraham's descendants and we've got moses's law and we we adhere to his law we understand it and some of you don't um, so uh, <clears throat> they feared them because the jews also said jesus is a he's a bit of a challenge to us he's a bit of a threat and if anyone admits or acknowledges that they follow him out the door you're not part of this congregation so they were a bit wary they said so they say because they feared the jews for the jews had agreed already 
that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. You know, Jesus showed them a kindness. Obviously, he healed the man, and the kindness, well, greatest kindness was to him, but it was also kindness to them. They could have stood up and said, and to be, have been acknowledged, but they were sitting on the fence. Therefore said these parents, he's of age, ask of him. And again they called the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered and said, Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. You can't take away someone's experience. You can argue thing one way, you can argue another way. Once you've had the experience, you're uh, caught. You're hooked. You've got it. You stand on it. You believe it. And then they said to him, How did he open thee? They already asked him. What are they trying to do? Are they trying to confuse the situation? Yes, they were. He said, Then he said uh, to them, I've told you already. You didn't hear? Where, do you want to hear it again? Do you want to be his disciples? Oh, they, they didn't like this. You want to be his disciples? They're trying to discredit Jesus. They're trying to discredit this man. They're trying to discredit the situation. Because if others believe, then they will be not regarded as the, the watchman of Israel, as the, the priest that they like to be seen to be. They reviled him. They laughed at him, insulted him. You're his disciple. But we are Moses' disciples. Hang on, this, this man had never seen Jesus before. In fact, he'd never seen him. He didn't see him at all. He, he heard his voice, put the mud on his eyes. He walked off. He didn't see who he was. They're really trying to discredit him. But we are Moses' disciples. We've got, we don't acknowledge Jesus. We've got something higher. We've got something greater. We've got something that is worth more we know god that spoke to the we know that god spoke to moses but as for this fellow we know not whence from he is they didn't even say his name they didn't say we wouldn't know who jesus is and they said we don't know where he is two chapters earlier or other books they say you're the guy that doesn't have a father you're the guy that's from galilee you're the guy that's this and that whatever was convenient for them, they called him this or they called him that just to maintain their perception of what he or she, what he should be. Hmm. And the man said unto them, why? This is, this is interesting. You don't know where he's from and yet he opened my eyes. Now, look, I'm a simple man. I've been a beggar most of my life. My parents were Jewish. They taught me something. So I know that God hears not sinners. But if any man be a worshipper of God and does his will, God hears him. Since the world began, has anyone heard of these kinds of things? Has any man opened another man's eyes that was born blind? If this man was not of God, he could do nothing. And they said to him, you were born in sin. And you're trying to tell us, there's the door. They showed him the door. They said, out of here. 
He's trying to discredit him. It's interesting. These days, um, most of us probably have used an electronic camera. Use an electronic camera. And then uh, the image is on the camera. You've got to get it from the camera onto hopefully a bigger screen. You've got to transfer it. And uh, you end up with a file. It's got some megabits, maybe four or five, six, whatever, megabits. When you click on the file, it tells you, if you look, without, you know, you look at it and you go, it says uh, Nikon or Fuji or Olympus or whatever your brand of camera is. It tells you that. It tells you 1,800 by 3,200. That's the number of pixels. And it tells you the date and the time. And if, you're, if your camera is linked to a GPS, it'll tell you where you took the photo. And you might even have other information on there, like the focus and, I don't know, other things on there as well. Let's just keep it basic. You don't know what the file is, but you can work out it's going to be a photo. The data around it, the things around it, are suggesting it's a photo. Just one sort of data. And then if you had maybe a, a receipt or a slip from a credit card or a payment that um, you had a voucher for a photography session, you can say, oh, someone's taking photos. And then if you, if you look somewhere on a calendar, you say there was someone's anniversary, you probably work out that this is going to be a photo of a family. We didn't see the photo, but we can work out from the various data around it what's happening. Likewise, the Jews didn't have electronic information like we have today, but they could have picked up. In fact, they should have picked up. But their heart was full of unbelief. And it didn't matter whether the situation was in Jesus' day, but the situation was when the nation of Israel came back from Babylon to Israel. Or it didn't matter when the nation of Israel was coming from Egypt and coming out. Wherever there was a time of unbelief, God is not able to move. And God is distancing himself from those that do not believe. It's interesting that we, they, they didn't acknowledge Jesus. They didn't acknowledge Jesus because his teaching was contrary to what they were accustomed to. He talked about shame. He talked about humility. He talked about subduing normal reactions about um, submitting himself. There was no pomp. There was no ceremony. There were, in his followers, they didn't come with swords. So the zealots didn't have much regard for him. In fact, Jesus said, we shouldn't use swords and we can pay taxes, thereby acknowledging the, the administration that was there. So the zealots didn't want to follow him. His uh, followers didn't have gowns on them. They weren't in a monastery. They weren't separated. So those didn't want to follow him. His followers weren't people of honor. They weren't someone who were highly esteemed in society. His ways were contrary to what they were used to. There was no... Some folks just weren't drawn to him. Even the ordinary people, 
when he talked about and he had time for people from Samaria who were part of Israel and they were people who were intermarried with with, uh, non-Jews he went and spent time with them this this doesn't fit Jesus' teachings didn't fit but the thing is We, we read, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. For some, when they, had did, when they did hear, did challenge or provoke. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. God had prepared a place for them, and he has a place for us. We read, For he that is entered into the rest, he also has seized from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the example of unbelief. We ought to desire to follow his ways. It doesn't matter. The Apostle Paul came to show, to demonstrate, whether we are Jews, whether we are Gentiles, we are Abraham's seed, and we have a, we has a place for us to follow His ways. Seeing that we have such a high priest that is passed into heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was on, was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin, and so we can come boldly into the throne of grace. We can obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. It doesn't matter. We have enough. There's enough in our lives that we can see enough data points, so to speak. We can see this is not usual. This is not common. This is the work. This is the hand of the Lord. We can believe in Jesus, and we can believe that he has a place for us. Amen. God bless you.